0: now we can go okay who is this tony no uh, i do um have a, a little housekeeping stuff to do as some of you may know um i we, we pray for my kids every sunday um leah and garrett trainer are uh missionaries that we pray for and uh happened to be my kids Sarah uh, Leah is my is my middle child and Garrett is my adopted son uh, well by law um, but it's uh, it's just a wonderful time and, and they've when we were out to see we were we got a chance to go out and see him in January while you were back here freezing off uh, you we were out there sitting on a porch and it was 70 and having coffee and it was well while before we left to come home I you probably don't know this too much information we got COVID and we uh, had to uh, stay there an extra week I know I know Uh, but just before we left my daughter said well I tested Positive, negative for COVID, but ne- tested positive for something else. And uh, found out they're not only getting training for seminary, from seminary for the field, but they're expanding their team. And, um, and Leah is pregnant. And just earlier this week, she called to say, and it's a boy. And I said, great, I don't have one of those. So we're very good, and and if you're Garrett, Leah, if you're watching there, cool, cool, cool. Uh, it's uh, it's great to, uh, great to be, great to be family, uh, and great to see uh, our, our family grow. Uh, before we get started, though, I would really uh, think it will be advantageous if we stop and just ask God to be with us and to. Um, to to open hearts and empower the word and we'll just give you praise for that would you pray with me father i thank you so much for your love for us and the demonstration of that love that we're going to be looking at this morning lord i pray that you would open our hearts in brand new ways to hear your word and to experience what you went through in order to save us from our sins lord i thank you and praise you for today for the people that are here uh, and bless the the reading and the explaining of your word and we'll give you praise for that in jesus name amen um, today as you know the, the calendar year says it's a uh, triumphal entry i have a, a question how many have been i know you have Keith. How many have been to Israel? Oh, good. You, you, did you have your hand up? No, no. Okay. So whatever I tell you, you have to believe. <laughs> no, you can you can check me on that. Yeah. Um, we uh, there are two walking tours that I would highly recommend you take. Uh, when we came to uh, when we drove in, we I was in a bus with fifty seven other people from. Across the United States and uh, got to know each other on the flight over. And then we were in Galilee first and then came down and came down to Jericho, took a right, went up the hill 17 miles up from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And the elevation is oh, right, right around 4,000 feet difference. The reason it starts so low, the lowest place on the earth is the Dead Sea, uh, 1,400 feet. Uh, 4, 1,400 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is uh, around uh, almost 2,000. Anyway, it's the difference of about 4,000 feet. And you go up and you, and you go through this. We went through this tunnel and, and the bus stopped right at the top, right near Bethsaida, uh, Bethphase, and um, led us out. And we walked down the Triumphal Entry Trail, which is what we're celebrating today. And it was uh, uh, just an incredible thing. And, and we got down to the bottom of the hill. It's about a mile down the hill to Jerusalem. And we, right at the bottom of the hill is the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we walked across the Kidron, Kidron Valley and up. Uh, and we didn't want to walk here, but apparently the triumphal entry then would have crossed the uh, Kidron Valley. And up on the, the east side, the northeast side, is a gate known as known at the time as uh, the sheep gate it's right near the temple and they would bring the sheep in that were going to be sacrificed and they would uh, uh, so that's why it's, it's called the sheep gate now today it's probably stephen's gate uh i think they redid it but what an appropriate place to end i mean here's jesus coming to jerusalem and he's going to enter jerusalem through the sheep gate the perfect lamb going through that gate well if you continue through that gate and you walk down a a few steps further you've got the temple mount on the one side you go down a little bit further and the praetorium or the the guard where jesus where the roman soldiers would have been encamped uh is is right there on your on your uh, right side um and uh, and it's interesting because the triumphal entry kind of stops there but the via della rosa would begin there at the praetorian uh the so the, the walking tour of the one would lead into the walking tour of 5 days later uh as they would as Jesus made his way to uh, to the cross Uh, this morning what i want to do is i want to look at the cross i want this to examine the the power of the cross and i want to do that by examining what i call the paradoxes paradox i didn't really know what paradox was i thought it was a couple of surgeons figuring out what they do next and But it's actually a paradox, and I I looked it up on Google, but I can't get this untangled. There it is. The the Google, I used to look up Webster's Dictionary, but it's too much trouble to turn pages. So I just say, Google, what does paradox mean? And she told me this. Uh, paradox is defined as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. That's what, a parad- that's what we want to look at today. And, and as we look at the passages in Mark, Mark 15 we're going to see if we can find some of those. We're going to stop and, and, and see, note places and a couple of people along the way and see what we can uh, discover from that. Uh, but let me, I have been told, good Bible study has three very important rules four things you need to follow. And they are context, context, and context. If you don't have context, you kind of miss out the whole thing. So let me tell you a little bit about where this sets. The night before was Thursday. We're thinking, some people think that Thursday, I have an issue between Thursday and Friday, but we're going to go with Friday. Thursday night, before this all took place, um, Jesus had dinner with his disciples known as the Last Supper. Uh, and after the supper was over, they... Um, went down the hill. They went across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, you know, they had a time of prayer. At least Jesus had a time of prayer. Uh, I think the disciples were sleeping. Uh, probably a rough night or something. But uh, after, at the end of the prayer time, he had prayed three different times and, and only to come back and find his disciples sleeping. After the third time, he comes back. And lo and behold, here's Judas. And Judas comes with a... a a batch of the temple guard and they um and and judas uh, you know the story betrays jesus by by, with a kiss and uh, i'm going to leave these out i'll get them tangled up um betrays him with a kiss and and the that that's that happens uh and that night the, the the uh the soldiers then take him to annas's house annas is the the previous high priest I just found this out. He's not—he's not the current high priest. He was the high priest, but the Romans didn't like him because they couldn't push him around. They couldn't make him do what they wanted him to do. So they got rid of him. And he said, "Well, then hire my son-in-law, uh, who is Caiaphas." So they—Caiaphas is the king. So they the king is the priest. They take the—they take Jesus to Annas, and Annas says. Uh, well, yeah, he deserves to die. Take him to, uh, take him to the acting high priest, my son-in-law. They take him to Caiaphas. They have a second jury or a second trial. And, uh, and Caiaphas says, whatever my dad says. So they take him from there. They take him to the collective group, the Sanhedrin. There's a third trial of the Sanhedrin. This is all late at night, early morning stuff they're getting people out of bed to come and do the, be part of these trial. So they, they finally decide the, the body says, eh, yeah, we need to we need to do something. Let's ask for the death death penalty." So they take him to Pilate, the first Roman trial. And uh, Pilate after talking to him and the long dis- they finally says, "You know, finds out that he's from Galilee. Well, that's that's Herod's jurisdiction. Send him to Herod." So they take off, they take him to Herod Herod hears about it and goes, nah, forget, I don't, I'm not going to deal with that. They send him back to Pilate, third tri- court, uh, trial. And the third trial, he says over and over again, I, I, what's the deal? I don't see anything wrong. Let me say this too. Every single one of these trials was illegal. Never should have happened. They finally... Pilate says, "Listen, I don't know what to do. You want? I'll give you the whole Barabbas thing." And finally, he says, i am washed my hands of the whole thing. You do what you want to do, but I see nothing wrong here." So he washes his hands, but sort of in, in a last-ditch effort, he says, "Okay, go. But the, you can go ahead and scourge him. Scourging is uh, sort of a." we have to understand that what we're talking about is a group of romans who have made an art form uh, a science of how to kill someone that would extend his grief his pain as as much as it could and they 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 beat him i'm not going to give you i'm not going to go blow by blow on what happened there if you want to know go to google and say how did jesus suffer at at calvary or or look at uh, um, mel gibson's passion of the christ it's by the way i warn you ahead of time it's r-rated and it's difficult to watch but it's probably closer to what happened um but but now where was But anyway that's the um that that's that that all took place now what this what i want to do is i want to pick up the story in chapter 15 right around uh, i'm going to read 16 and i'm going to stop and talk about a few items and but what we're going to we're going to start our our study in uh, chapter uh, in verse 20 and uh, and take it from there uh to find these paradoxes but this is what uh verse 16 says and the soldiers led him away into a hall called praetorium and they called together the whole band now the the word band is different translations have it cohort uh the whole it, it basically has to do with the whole body of the military people that are there which could have been anywhere between 200 and 600 soldiers uh, so they're they take, them, they, uh, they take them and give them to the, the soldiers, and they take them into the praetorium, and, and they begin to mock, they get, begin to jeer, they take a purple robe, you're going to be king? Okay, here you need a purple robe, and you need a crown. Well, they got the, the, the word that is translated, and they clothed him in purple and plated i had to look that up too google didn't have a good one for me on that it means braided they took a some a thorn bush and they braided it into a crown and they placed it nice and gingerly on his head they then began to um, mock worship him uh they um so he's got his robe on, he has his crown on, and they begin to spit on him, and they're bowing their knees in, in, in s- sarcastic worship. And, um, and when they're done, they take, they apparently, uh, this does, it, apparently, he had a scepter as well. They gave him a scepter. Now they call it a reed but it wasn't a reed when i heard that they they hit him around the head with a reed i thought big deal um but a reed that word translated reed has a number of different translations and it could be a measuring stick a walking stick i the best i can understand it was a reed that grew along the jordan and it would grow to be about 20 feet high it was it must have been something like a bamboo shoot so they had this it was the message made it a little bit more dramatic i think that they they said they used that they would hit him with a club i think it was a a bamboo shoot a, a stick of some kind but they began to hit him around the head now we have a crown of thorns on his head so i i i can't imagine that it would have been very pretty the blood must have flowed it doesn't say so but it must have flowed um they, they, uh, they, they. Uh, back to my text, and and they mocked him, and they took off. And when they're done mocking him, they take off the purple robe, robe, um, and they put his clothes back on. Um, and they let him out. John tells us that as they let him out of the praetorium, he was carrying the cross. Now, we're going to stop there, and we're going to jump over the next verse and come to verse 20. And I want to start this this trip down, or actually, we're not going to look very much at the details along the uh, Via Della Rosa, which is the way of grief, the way of sorrow. Um, If you were to be, be there today, you could go to the 14 stations of the cross, which are steeped in church tradition, not so much scripture, in fact, I went, one, uh, was reading one of them, and they were talking about the Stations of the Cross, and very proudly they announced, and some of them are from Scripture. I thought, well, if they're not from Scripture, what are we doing there? are wasting our time with that. Um, but they, they, uh, we're, we're going to jump over. The beginning point of this Via Della Rosa parade um, is the Praetorium. The end point is Golgotha. And we're going to go to Golgotha, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 21. And and we're going to find the uh, the first of our our paradoxes. That's what they're called. Verses 22 and 23 says this. And they bring him into the place, Golgotha, which is in being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him, drink, uh, gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Now, this Golgotha interpreted, it's karion, karion tapas, is the Greek. Basically, roughly translated, it's the topography of the coranium. That's where that head of the place of the skull comes from now today if there's if you go to jerusalem you'll find two places that um, are recognized as golgotha or the place where jesus was crucified one of them is now a large church it's called church of the holy sepulcher and there is nothing there except the church that has been decorated and ordained uh, whatever uh, with um, by four different priestly groups have taken upon themselves to, you know, and you can walk up these stairs and, and there's this table and it's all fancy lit with chandeliers and stuff. And under the table in the middle is a square hole and they say, that's where the cross would have gone. I, I hate to say that the church wasn't there then. So how could that be the hole? Anyway. Um, you, you can come down, and the, there's a place over there where there's a sepulcher. There's another place that I prefer to think was the place. It is the Gordon's Garden Tomb, and it, it is it is fabulous. When I was there, um, oh, it must have been 15, 20 years ago, somewhere, um, the the tour guide knew that I was a pastor, and and so he said, uh, "Would uh, would you like to do uh, communion?" I said, nah, no, somebody. I t- what a what an opportunity. So I uh, I I deliver. I, we did communion there in the garden tomb, but when you're when you're sitting there, one of these pla- you you can look over the wall of the garden area, and you can see this hillside. It's a bluff, and it looks if you look closely. Two thousand years have probably changed it quite a bit, but it looks like eye sockets and it looks like a place that could be identified as a skull and i i prefer to to see that and it's a garden tomb joseph of arimathea who uh, took the took the body had a tomb nearby where he was crucified so it's all it all fits well Um, but it's the golgoth is uh it's it's a place in by the way, I hate to break, break um, people's ideas of things, but we're very, very attuned to a song called uh, On a Hill Far Away Stood an Old Rugged Cross. And everybody that I have seen depict the crucifixion of Christ, it's on a hill far away from Jerusalem. No, Jerusalem is the hill far away. The crucifixion took place in the middle of town, more or less, just outside the gate. Couldn't do it inside the gate, but just outside the gate. And the reason for that is they wanted as many people as possible to be able to walk by and see the disgusting person who's been doing all kinds of nasty things that deserves death. And they would put a plaque on the top of it to, to name the crime that he's, being, that he's dying for. Well, they did that. Um, Pilate does that. We'll, we'll get around to him in a few minutes. But um, the very first thing we see is, is this awful scene. Nailing, the, nailing the, the hands and the feet into the cross the blood that had been shed the day before, the scourging that took place. He was at the pro- possibly the lowest point of his physical life as he sat there on the cross, as, as he was stretched out on the cross. They offered, him a myrrh, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. The reason for that is it's an anesthetic to dumb the senses so that you could tolerate the pain that was going on. And Jesus said, no, I don't want that. A lot of people think that the reason he said that is because he has just just told his disciples, No, I'm not going to drink wine with you again till I drink it in heaven in this in the Last Supper. I, I am I don't think that was it at all. I think Jesus wanted to be fully aware to the sensations that they were foisting upon him, because that was the price. That he would pay for your sins and my sins. And he wanted to be there. So he said, no. The first paradox that we come to is that we come to the foot of the, the shadow of the cross, we find that weakness becomes strength. You know we've had two thousand years to sanitize the picture. Few people have come along and done a, I think, a fair fair representation of what it was looked like. But it was it was horrendous. Keep in mind who it is that's doing this. These are Romans. These are the Romans who had perfected this. And he suffered, and he suffered greatly. It's the worst form of capital punishment ever known to mankind. In scripture, John simply says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And that doesn't tell us anything about what he suffered. Just that he gave his son for us. Philippians says that he emptied himself. A little little bit closer to reality, but that's still far from what actually took place he agonized he wrestled he suffered it took three hours in fact it's not it's not surprising that death came so quickly because he had suffered so much i think there was a huge loss of blood but when uh, josephus josephus when uh, joseph of arimathea came to get the body He went up and asked asked Pilate for the body. He got up the nerve and went and asked. And he was really surprised. Are you kidding me? He's already dead? I think death came quickly. It was probably from 3 o'clock, from 9 o'clock to 3 in the afternoon that he was on the cross. And he dies. And the last three hours, by the way, are in pitch darkness. There was a a darkness that covered the er world covered the area and he suffered and he died you know and i I, there's there's passages of scripture that that just sort of hit me in the face when i'm reading the author of hebrews says look to the author and finisher of your faith who for the joy that was set before him Endured the cross. He endured the cross. He went through that pain, that agony, for the joy that it brought because it brought you and me to a point of salvation and fellowship with him. I know uh, there's a power in that uh, Paul in his letter to the Philippians uh, prays for the people in Ephesus and he says uh, this is my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you into the spirit of wisdom and what is the exceeding greatness of his power Christ's weakness became the power To save. The first paradox is weakness becomes power. But we need to keep keep on our our, our tour. We're now to at verse twenty four. It says in in verse twenty four, when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take, and it was the third hour. They crucified him. Now, not only did the Romans figure out a way to extend the suffering and the pain and the agony, they also had devised methods of humiliation. They had developed this whole thing of shame, the whole mockery that took place even before the Via Della Rosa came into the picture is part of it. But he is, um, this capital punishment for the Romans was severe. These Roman soldiers were, were violent, emotionally calloused men. They sat there, and, and, and scripture, not scripture, history tells us that when they would crucify somebody, anybody, they would remove all of their clothes. So there they are, stark naked on the cross, humiliating. And while they're doing that, they take the clothes that they've just taken off, and they throw them on the ground in front of the cross. And with what is equivalent to dice, they begin to just deal out who's going to win, who's going to get what. The guys were, the, the Roman soldiers were more concerned about what they were going to gain from this experience than the fact that somebody just standing above them was dying, breathing their last not only someone but the sovereign God of the universe was breathing his life la- they didn't care they just humiliated him I uh, the second paradox the paradox of the shadow of the cross shame becomes glory. I, I really like to follow along with uh, the Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite books. But he, Paul traces this whole journey from from, uh, shame and humiliation to glory in chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, god also highly exalted him and gave him a name that was above every name his shame and his glory became his shame became glory you know it's kind of the what jesus what uh, jesus is talking about in in um, in the beatitudes in matthew 5 he says, blessed are those... You want to know what blessing is being? You want to be blessed? Listen to this. Blessing, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Shame becomes glory at the foot of the cross but we got to keep going we go through the next the next section is a large section and it has to do with uh, the angry crowd that uh, we find at the foot of the cross oh and some of them on the cross with him uh, this, this is what it says in verse 26. Uh, the, subscrip- the superscription of his uh, accusation was written over the king of the Jews. You know, there's a controversy over that because the Jews wanted him to change it. He said he was, and Pilate, I think, was mocking them, saying, eh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He is the king of the Jews. And with him, they, they crucified two thieves, one on his right and one on the left. Of the other side, and the uh, in the scripture, oh, and the scripture was fulfilled that saith, the, the, the and he was numbered amongst his transgressors. I stumbled over that. That's not in most texts, by the way. You want to know why? See me later. I'll give you um, an explanation as to why. But uh, that it, it appears in the King James, but not in the other. Translations, And uh, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it up in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, mocking him, said, amongst themselves with the scribes, he saved others; himself, he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend from the cross, that we may see and believe. That they um, and they that were crucified with him. Now, there's three different groups of people that are sitting there mocking Jesus. We were first told that there are two two uh, criminals, one on the left, and one on the left, one on the right, one on the left, and one on the. Left. I did that wrong. One on the right, and one on the right. No, one on the right, one on the left. Um, either side. And, um, and it just mentions that here. But at the very last, it says, and those guys were mocking him. Now, we know from Luke later on, one of them finally said, you know what? That's stupid. This guy didn't do anything wrong. We're the ones who should be here, not him. And he repented and he said, uh, you know, I'm wrong. Save me. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. But there, we have the thieves, and they're mocking him. We have people passing by on the street and and they're saying, uh, boy, you, you you made a big boast about tearing the church, the the temple down. They're standing, you know, the temple was right there, very proud of their their temple. You're going to tear that down and build it up in three days. How long did it take Solomon to put it together? A lot longer. They mocked him, and while they're mocking him, the Pharisees and the scribes are sitting there and they're kind of bantering amongst themselves. It says, "Yeah, what a, what an idiot this guy is." And they said, and I, I, I love. I, very very impressed by what they said not in a positive way like i likewise also the chief priests mocking said amongst themselves with the scribes he saved others himself he cannot save let christ the king of israel descend from their from the cross, that we may see and believe. And I've got a comment about both of those statements. I agree with one and I don't agree with the other one. He said, he saved others. Him, he cannot save. And I'm saying, yes, that's true. I don't think Jesus could have saved himself if he was going to fulfill what his father had called him to do. He could not have died for the sins of the world if he had come down from the cross and he loved you and me too much to come down from the cross. The other statement that I question is is this last line. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. You know what? They would never have believed. They were set in their ways and that was it. The the paradox is that this mockery, the shame, and the shadow of the cross, mockery, becomes testimony i have to be I, we already talked about that the, the rest of uh, of uh, we read philippians 2 earlier i want to i want to finish that phrase because it completes the thought here it completes that that very thing um, wherefore god also highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and and, and of things on earth and things uh, things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, someday, every single person People who have spent their whole lives condemning, mocking, jeering, making fun of, everyone is going to bow their knee and say, Yeah, that's God. The sad part is, for many, for most, it will be too late. Okay, I just heard my thing says 12 o'clock. I'm sorry, but uh, I've got one more point. I'll hurry. <laughs> There's one verse I, I left behind, and that is uh, verse 21. And they, um, and they compelled Simon the Cyrene, who, uh, who passed by, coming out from the country, and the father of Alex uh, Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. He came out after this... He came out bearing the cross, and, and he stumbled, apparently, because they call Simon. And, well, who in the world is Simon? How did he get into the picture? Do we know him before? Never heard of him before. Simon, Simon the Cyrene. Cyrene, they tell me, is in northern Africa, Libya area. And there was a Jewish population there. So he was probably a Jew from, from there. And he had come, he had pilgrimed uh, to Jerusalem uh, for the, peace of the, the feast of the Passover. He was staying, in, as most of the pilgrims at that time would do, they would stay outside of Jerusalem and then they would come in during the day for the celebrations. And so he was coming in and he just happened to come in through one of the gates near where the Via Rosa was channeling through. And, and uh, <laughs> I I love the terminology. They compelled him. Now, well, the the, worst, the word is also translated forced, which is probably a little bit closer to Romans. I can't see the Romans saying, oh, could you help us here? Um, they kind of put a, I was going to say a gun to their head, but it would have been a spear to their ribs, I suppose. Uh, would you, you t- pick up that cross and follow us and, and so he did. What else do we know about him? A very b- bizarre thing. He says, "The father of Rufus and Alexander." Why would you add that? Why would you? Who? You know. And and I'm going to preach today, and I am the father of Sarah and Jenna and Leah. What do you care? Why would that make a difference? If, other than they knew Rufus and Alexander. The only other time we hear the word Rufus is in the book of Romans. We know that Mark wrote wrote to the Romans. It is very possible, and it's my belief, that Rufus and Alexander and Simon became Christians as a result of what they they witnessed in Jerusalem that day. They became members of the church in in Rome. And so when he's writing to the Rome, he's saying their names and they're going, oh yeah, we know them. I I think that what happened was that here was this innocent bystander just sitting there, nothing, he was there for other reasons. And yet in the shadow of the cross, Our third paradox. In the shadow of the cross, innocent bystanders become ardent followers. The power, according to 2 Corinthians 5 7, the power of the cross has the power to change people's lives. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. We are different people. I don't know if you've uh, discovered uh, the Chosen. I love it. If you need to know information on how to witness the Chosen, it's a, the life of Christ. Really excellently done. They're in the. They're still building it. There's we're in. We have, we're, They're just starting to do season three out of seven. But it's a wonderful thing. And, and what they do is they have different ways of advertising. And they, you can get t-shirts. One of the sayings on one of the t-shirts I, I, I lo- really like. I've modified it a little bit for this. But it, it basically says this. I was one way and now I am completely different. And the only thing that happened between, between was the cross. The one great thing about this is that story is your story and my story if we know Jesus Christ as Lord. One of the greatest things I think we can do is share that story with others. With one another so that we can take it and share it with those out there who don't know. Well, Friday is coming. Long time, about about oh, almost thirty years ago, I uh, heard about a sermon done by a guy by the name of to- Tony Campolo, who did who uh, taught uh, religion at Eastern University, where I don't know anything where that, but I learned him. It has recently been revised. Um, by, and I gotta, gotta remember his name. His name is S.A. Lockridge. Uh, he has a little thing, you wanna look that up on, on Google and go to the name of the, uh, the sermon that he, he's, he redid. But the name of the sermon is something that I think is so pertinent for, for where we are. It says, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The whole purpose and the plan for what I wanted to accomplish here today is that it would prepare us to take a critical, close look at what it cost Jesus to save us. So that when Sunday comes, we're prepared to celebrate in the grandest way we can find it's friday but sunday's coming lord i think